Reading this week is from Habakkuk 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigenoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decray crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Why don't we pray together as we begin? Lord, I pray now, as we sung earlier, that you would tune our hearts, that you would tune our hearts to hear what you are saying to us. Help us be attentive, Lord. And I pray that you'd help me speak your words. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1851, an English missionary named Alan Gardner was shipwrecked along with all his crew, on a little remote island off the tip of South America. And they all died one at a time. And he was the last one alive. And with his body riddled full of disease, he died of starvation. Now later, they found his body, and they found his journal. And at that moment, the last thing he had written, the final entry, he quoted this from Psalm 34. The lions may grow weak and hungry. And remember, this is a man dying of hunger. Yet citing this, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then the very final words in his journal were this, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Here's a man dying of starvation, far from home. Hopes are dashed. Everyone is dead around him. And yet in this moment he says, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. How is that possible? How is it possible to declare and know the goodness of Lord, even in the midst of our suffering? Well, it's certainly the question that Habakkuk has asked. We've been going through a series together through this small book that forms uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. 
And we've seen so far that the prophet has been wrestling with God because he's seen that the great Babylonian empire is going to crush the Israelites. And he's been wrestling. There's been a dialogue between him and God as he tries to hold on to the goodness and sovereignty and power of the Lord and all that he sees in the world around him. He tries to reconcile God's goodness with it. And for him, it is a struggle. Well, actually, we might now say it's actually going to get even worse. This week, we come to the description at the very end of the book, and he says, there are no figs or grapes, no olives, no fields producing food. There are no sheep or cattle. So there is no food, so people are dying. And there is no economy. Your sheep and your cattle were where your investment was, as it were. That's where your money was. So he says there's nothing. He is describing a social and economic disaster. Collapse. Well, what might we say in that situation? Imagine in this nation if we were to experience the same thing. What might we do? Because how do we normally come to the conclusion that God is good? How do we normally say, God, you are good? Generally, I think, certainly it's true for me, that it's when our lives are going well, when our fig trees are blossoming, as it were, when we have money and health, where things are going the way we want. And when our lives are going easy, we often find it easy to say God is good because we infer the goodness of the Lord from the good situations we see. But it doesn't have to be like that. Holding that mind, Alan Gardner, the man who said, I'm overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness. It might even be possible to know God's goodness and praise him even in the midst of suffering. To face it, to know God's goodness apart from our life circumstances. And to face even certain disaster with patience and poise and knowing God's goodness. That's certainly what Habakkuk does. That's certainly, Habakkuk has found a way to do it. He says, in spite of nothing going wrong right in my life, and even in this nation, yet I will rejoice, yet I will be joyful. And so for us tonight, how is that possible? How is it possible for us to live out a life that rejoices in God in all circumstances, How can we be those who know the goodness of the Lord, who hold on to it, whatever we face? How can we rejoice in our suffering? That is what we're going to explore tonight together. And Habakkuk shows us quite a lot about it. He shows us what it is to do it. He shows us when we can do it, how we can do it, and even why it's possible. What does it mean to rejoice in suffering? That's where we're going tonight. So firstly, what does that mean? What does it mean to have joy in suffering? Well, verse 19 likens rejoicing in our suffering like walking sure-footedly on the mountaintops. After he says, I rejoice in the Lord in verse 18, he says in verse 19, and you can read with me, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. What's he talking about? Well, it's a metaphor. And rejoicing in suffering is like walking like a deer that is sure-footedly with perfect balance and confidence on the high place. So, when life is bad, God gives me deer feet. Thank you, Lord. What does it mean? What's it mean? What's it mean? Well, to go up on the mountains is very dangerous, isn't it? To go up into a high place can be very dangerous. actually far more dangerous than the level ground. One slip and you're gone. But if you're able to navigate it without fear of falling, you're safe. So, in ancient times, the safest place to be was the high place. And that was for two reasons. This, I mean, this is why people would build their dwellings up high. Have you ever seen castles, maybe in Europe, maybe in this nation? They're built in a high place. Why is that? Well, it's two things. Firstly, you are hard to attack. You are safer up there. It's so much harder to attack uphill. 
And then secondly, you have a much better vantage point. You can see what is coming. So you can see for, day, for hours and even days ahead because you are up high. So what we're being shown is that though that walking on the heights might be dangerous, if we're able to put it off, it's actually far more safe and you can see far more. I wonder if you've ever seen an animal scale a sheer cliff or scale the heights in this way as Habakkuk is talking about. It's amazing. And we're just going to watch a short video where we can see this. And um, it's not a deer in the video, it's an ibex. But the word for deer in the Hebrew gets across this idea of a thing with hooven feet. So let's watch that together. It's terrifying, isn't it? (laughs) Terrifying. Isn't that amazing, though? Isn't that amazing? It's nearly 90 degrees, and yet they're able to walk in that place. And do you know they go there because it's safe for them? And do you know they go there because they can see what's coming? And for us, when suffering comes, and sadly in this life it will, maybe some of us are in that place right now, that can be a place, the place of suffering, the place of hardship can actually be something that crushes us. I mean, just think what would happen to one of those animals if they fell. I have to say, the first time I watched that, my heart leapt as I saw the little baby one nearly fall. But... Habakkuk says, you make my feet like the one who can stand in the high place. And therefore, being able to rejoice in God in suffering enables us to stand in a place, to have safety in a place, in something that could crush us. But actually, more than that, it's not just being able to survive something. Actually, rejoicing in suffering is being able to have safety and a right perspective of God. Remember, the high place is the place that you can't be attacked. Remember, the high place is the place where you have, can see far more. And Habakkuk says like that. He says, rejoicing in God is like being in that position. Amazing. Now, spiritually speaking, it's a position of faith. Remember last week, Habakkuk talked about, I've positioned myself on the ramparts to wait and see what God will say. And the reason he went to the high place is so he could see over the land, so he could see the coming of the Lord. And it's the same thing here, rejoicing, declaring in the goodness of God, places us in a position, the high place of expectant faith to see what God is doing. And for us, by God's grace, it actually becomes a position of safety and right perspective. But notice, this isn't something we do in our own strength. Verse 19, he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He enables me. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He's saying, when whatever circumstances, God is our comfort, peace, and joy. God is our safe place. God is our place to rejoice in. We can learn to worship God joyfully in suffering. And Habakkuk shows that actually, as we're in that place, it is for us a position of safety. But God helps us do it. He enables it. He enables us to walk on the mountaintops. That's what Habakkuk shows rejoicing in suffering to be like. But when does this happen? Well, amazingly for Habakkuk, it happens at the same time as the sorrow and grief. Worshipping the Lord doesn't come just after the sorrow and grief. It happens during it, concurrently. Uh, Let's consider verse 16. Uh, This is Habakkuk's response to everything that has happened in the preceding chapters. and Everything that he's seen, everything that he's been speaking to God, everything that he's heard, this is what he says. This is his response. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. 
Grief can have very powerful physiological effects on our body. And Habakkuk is so overcome that his body is responding. And he says, my heart pounded. Now, in the original language, it's more like my bowels trembled. And I'll just leave that to your imagination, but don't you think too much about it. But you get the idea. He's terrified. And then he says, my lips quivered. When was the last time you saw someone's lip quiver? Maybe on a child. Maybe the bottom lip comes out. It's when someone is crying. He says, I'm crying. And then he says, I feel like death and disease has overtaken me. He said, decay, decay crept into my bones. And then he says, my legs are trembling. So here is a man who is terrified, full of grief, full of fear. In this moment, he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of the Lord. And the, word, the Hebrew word for wait patiently means to have deep, deep peace. So verse 16 is actually quite startling. Though I am so filled with grief and fear, Habakkuk says, I am filled with peace. I will wait patiently. So suffering, rejoicing and suffering can actually happen in the moment of suffering. But how on earth can you do that? How can one do that? Well, Habakkuk remembers. Habakkuk begins by remembering. We see this in verses 3 to 15. And here Habakkuk tells the story of the exodus of the Jewish people. And we see it in verses like verse 3, where it says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. And this is a reference to the area of Sinai, where God first revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. We continue in verse 5, it says, Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. And that's a reference to the plagues of Egypt that God brings. And then we continue in verse 10, where Habakkuk says, Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Can you see that that is the crossing of the Red Sea where the waters were parted and the waves were piled up high? And then he says in verse 13, you came out to deliver your people. And this is what God accomplishes through all of this, all that he recounts. It is the story of God's deliverance. And Habakkuk goes back to this story. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness, power and goodness. And it is from that place, as he remembers what God has done, he says he's able to say, I will wait patiently. I will rejoice. I will be joyful. And he worships God. Verse 19 um, I, they're actually not on the sheet, um, but the final, very final bit of it, it's almost like an appendix to what has come before. It says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. And he isn't talking about Ben Hayes or Rory, but this is worship. It actually gives us the clue that the final bit, the famous verses about the fig tree, might be a worship song. And there's also the language of worship. Uh, verse 2 says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. This is the language of worship. But also, do you notice it is a declaration of faith? He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. And if you remember, in the nation that he was in, he he was saying to God, everyone has abandoned you. People have turned away from you. Your law is failing. And yet in that nation, where God certainly wasn't famous, he's saying, Lord, I've heard of your fame by faith. And then he says, I stand in awe of your deeds. Which if you know what Habakkuk has been doing before, is quite an amazing declaration. Because before, Habakkuk has come before the Lord and he says, Lord, you are not doing anything. Violence and just injustice are per, uh, persevering. And the righteous are not. And yet in that place, he says, Lord, I stand in awe of all that you've done. Isn't that amazing? This is the language of worship. 
but is also the language of faith. And then from that position of faith, he makes his request of God. Uh, Verse 2 says, I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And he's saying to God, as he remembers, he's saying, you have delivered us before. You are our deliverer. That is who you are. And now do it again. Deliver us once more. And the same can be true for us. This is how we might begin to worship God in the midst of whatever we face, even if it is suffering. We remember all that God has done for us. We remind ourselves, and so we worship God for it. This is actually a pattern we screw in Scripture. You remember something like Psalm 103, where the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, all my soul. Oh, all, my, all that is within me, praise his holy name. Who's he speaking to? Praise the Lord, all my soul. He's speaking to himself. And then the psalmist will go on, who forgives all your sin, who heals all your diseases, who crowns you with love and compassion so that your youth is renewed. And the psalmist reminds himself, and so does Habakkuk. Habakkuk goes back to what God has done. And he connects what God has done to the present. Do you remember that line? We sang it earlier, didn't we? In, here I raised mine Ebenezer. Does that seem a bit strange to anyone? That's not about the Christmas carol. The alternative lyrics, alternative line for that word is, here I raised to thee an altar. And it's a reference to the place in scripture where people would raise an altar to the faithfulness of God. It happens, Abraham does that, I think, at Bethel. I might be wrong, we might need to check that, the one that comes to mind. He does it in scripture. It's basically saying, I raise in this place, I'm going to make a mark. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and it's going to be something that recognizes the glory and goodness of God. This is something that's going to show what he has done. Here I raise to thee an altar. It's basically saying, I'm going to make a mark in the line, mark in the sand to say, God, you are good, and God, you have acted. God, you have delivered. And it's kind of like what Habakkuk does. He goes back to all that God has done before so that he might be able to praise him. And Habakkuk even says he'll rejoice in suffering. He says, I will rejoice. Does that mean feeling? Does this mean that we must feel happy? Does this mean we must feel joyful? Let's be honest with ourselves. How often do we feel like worshipping God? As you came here tonight, were you like, yippee, I get to worship? If you're anything like me, a lot of the time you don't. A lot of the time in our lives, actually even when things are going very, very well, we don't, come, we don't show up to something like church ready to worship God. It is not the natural response of our hearts to say, Lord, I rejoice. Lord, I'll be joyful. God, you are faithful. Often, actually, we need to be stirred. We need to be reminded. Another line in that song we sang early was, tune my heart to sing your praise. Often what we need to do as we come before God is have ourselves tuned by remembering what he has done. If I really wanted to demonstrate this, I could take Will's guitar And I could just untune it and I could strum it for us and I could try and play and it would sound awful. But then if we were to tune it, ah, and there is the chord. Worship happens from a place of remembering who God is. Because often it can be hard to show up to worship. Often we're not in that place. The other day I was in college and um, I had been called in very last minute to lead worship. And I was playing with a guy on piano And there was this particular button on the piano that when you play one note, actually it puts another note in place. So he starts off playing and something sort of twigged within me. I was like, something is very wrong here. And I started singing. And I was like, oh, this is very, very high, isn't it? 
And dutifully, the congregation, you know, they went along with me. And then we got to the chorus, and I was like, oh, oh, goodness, oh, goodness. And I had to drop down. I had to stop what we were doing and say, look, I think something is very, very wrong here. And thankfully, um, helped us all relax. And then he was able to play the right chords, and we were able to sing together. And in the same way, maybe, we need to come to God in the right place. We need to be tuned And we do that by remembering what God has done. This is how Habakkuk tunes himself. This is how Habakkuk gets into himself to a place where he can say, I will rejoice. He's even able to say in a land where God is not famous and God doesn't seem like he's doing anything, he's able to say, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Why can we do the same thing? Why can we do this? Why can we ascend like Habakkuk to the heights of God's safety and vision? Why can we rejoice even in pain and suffering, whatever we are going through? Why can we remember what God has done? Well, it's because we too can say the words of verse 13 and 14. Habakkuk says this, You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. Habakkuk considered God's deliverance and that got him to a place where he was able to say, even though I'm overcome by grief, even though I'm terrified, even though I'm trembling, even though everything is lost, even though there are no sheep in the pen, even though there is no fruit on the vine, even in that place, I'll rejoice. I can have deep peace. And we can do the same thing in Jesus. We can know the same peace, the same joy in Jesus. Habakkuk says, you came out to deliver your people. We know that God has come to deliver us. God came from heaven to earth. Habakkuk says, you came to save your anointed one. Now, he's talking about Moses. But ultimately, who can claim the title of God's anointed one? Jesus Christ, his name means anointed one. So you see, Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better one who stood in the gap. But whereas the first Moses just risked his life, Jesus gave his life. Whereas the first Moses spread the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, Jesus was the lamb whose blood was shed so that we could be forgiven and liberated from sin and evil and death. And God has saved his anointed one God has raised Jesus from death to life. Habakkuk continues, he says this, You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. Now he describes here what God did to the Egyptian pharaoh. But I was so struck as I was reading this, how this mirrors what actually happened to Jesus. Because Isaiah 53 says this, But he, that is Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Habakkuk says of God, you crushed the leader. But we know from scripture that Jesus was crushed for our sins. Habakkuk says, you pierced his head. Jesus was pierced in his head with a crown of thorns. He was pierced in his hands and in his feet with nails. He was pierced in his side with a spear. Habakkuk even says, you stripped him from head to foot. Jesus was stripped of all his clothes and his dignity and in nakedness he hung on a, nakedness and shame he hung on a cross that we might be clothed in righteousness. And the wonderful truth is because Jesus was crushed and speared and stripped God has delivered us. 
And Habakkuk describes that God crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. And in Christ's death and resurrection, God did the same thing to Satan. You see, the very things that were designed to break Jesus actually broke Satan's power. Jesus was crushed and pierced and stripped so that Satan might be. And so, for us, because he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. God has brought our healing in Jesus. And so, yes, in this world there may be suffering, as we have considered for these three weeks. But God has chosen Jesus to suffer so that one day all suffering and injustice might come to an end. And it is this truth and this truth alone that enables us, like Habakkuk, to rejoice even in suffering. It is that truth that we remind ourselves about, that Jesus has come for us, that Jesus has died for us, that he is risen again. And it is through Jesus that actually we'll be lifted to the heights. It is through Jesus that our feet will be made like the feet of the deer. So that in our moment of suffering, it actually will become for, a place, become for us a place of safety and of right perspective. It is because of Jesus that actually in the moment of suffering, we might still be able to choose the discipline of saying, I will rejoice and I will be joyful. And it's through Jesus that we can worship God and we can have peace even in the moment of grief. We thank God for Jesus. We worship God for Jesus. And if we ever find ourselves doubting all that God has done, we look to Jesus. You see, we mustn't try and work out who God is from what happens in our lives. We mustn't, as I suggested at the beginning, infer the goodness of God from the chaos of our world. Instead, we look to what God has done in Jesus. We remember that, and that is our sure hope of the goodness and sovereignty of God that will enable us to whatever we face, To say, I will rejoice and I will be glad. And it is this truth alone that will enable us to pray like Habakkuk. I wonder what our version of Habakkuk's prayer at the end would be. Because of Jesus too, we can say, though everything may go wrong, though I may have nothing, though I don't know my purpose in life, though I hate my job, though I've lost loved ones, Though I don't own a house, though I'm still single, whatever it is. Though my marriage is struggling, though we can't conceive, though I struggle with physical health, though I suffer with mental health, though the world seems to be getting worse and worse, whatever it is in our lives, whatever it is, whatever the circumstance, good or bad, we can still trust in God and his goodness. We can too can pray this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. That too can be our prayer in Jesus. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you that whatever we face, we have a sure hope. And Lord, I pray that by your grace, we'll be able to look to you and not look to our circumstances. Lord, I pray that we would worship you from a place of remembering all that you've done and not by looking at whatever we may face. 
Lord, thank you that the truth is that you enable us to do that. And I pray that we would claim that tonight. God, we bless you and we thank you for what you've done. Amen. Why don't we stand together? The band are going to lead us in some more worship. But what we'd love to do is pray for anyone tonight. So the hosting team are going to come now, join me on my left and on my right. And can I encourage us tonight to respond what God might have been doing? Maybe God has been speaking to you tonight. Maybe you're in a situation that actually needs God's deliverance. Maybe you're actually, as you've heard this tonight, maybe actually it's a struggle to hear it. Because you're in a place of needing the deliverance of the Lord. Can I encourage us to come tonight to receive prayer, to seek the breakthrough of God? And can I encourage us tonight as we respond to worship? Can I encourage us tonight to choose to rejoice in God? Can I encourage us tonight to remember all that God has done for us? And worship God from that place. So as I say, please do come for prayer if you'd like to. And let's worship God now.